0: Welcome to the Amber Knight Superhero Podcast with Simo Suahemo. This show is your backstage pass to discussions with world-class influencers in the field of health and high performance. We bring you the selected tips and insights that you can use to upgrade your life and become unstoppable. We are live. Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Podcast. My name is Simo Suahemo, and today I am joined by Mikko Ikola my co-founder, who will be interviewing me about a recent adventure.
1: Yes, thanks thanks for having me, Simo, over here. And it's exciting to do this the other way around than you usually do.
0: Totally, I'm, I'm super stoked about this.
1: And I have to say, it's the most beautiful summer morning in Helsinki. We just came over uh, five minutes from our office. We have a beautiful lake behind us, nice um, sunshine uh, over us, and uh, and before I got here I, I found this uh the good guys kombucha, uh which is fantastic. They just invented this or created this in Tampere. And one of our uh, new friends Ossi Valpio is behind this. So what about just giving a cheers for Ossi? Well,
0: let's do it! Cheers Ossi! <laughs> uh this is a really good kombucha.
1: So the 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 first day uh, in, in, in the cabin after all this vision and strategy workshop it was about 9 or 10 p.m. and we had a dinner with the team, you we are sitting around the table. And, and, and when, we, when we started eating, Simo started to share this story. So I, I know, I mean, you, you, you've been doing mountaineering and, you know, climbing mountains for last few years, uh, you know, in, in Alps, uh, Chamonix, Austria. You know, kind of like the intermediate medium stuff that you know, you know, many people do, but are still a little bit more difficult, but not not like like super special. So I was expecting when you said a couple of weeks ago that yeah, I, I'm I'm going to uh, Kazakhstan to top another mountain. That okay, this is you know nice, like not nice day hike <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and when I uh, when I <laughs> well when the entire team was listening the story. On the dinner table, I mean, you could just sense the energy, which was, which just made everybody like totally speechless (laughs) and, and people was like staring at walls because they didn't really know how to uh, respond when the story got just more scarier and scarier and scarier after every fucking sentence. so
0: <laughs> yeah it was pretty intense at times
1: so i i was i was quite stoked about it and i think after after that story um yeah we decided that why why not to share these vibes to the world so here we are here we are so um so yeah so so you you went to to con Tengri region in, in Kazakhstan, right? And, yes. And that was that was like clo- close to China, seven kilometers from the Chinese border, close to uh, Kyrgyzstan.
0: Yeah, close to Kyrgyzstan as well. Like yeah. At the very intersection of the three countries, basically.
1: Right, right, yeah. I Yeah, when I was walking here, I, I fired up Wikipedia and looked some facts, and, and it's about seven, like, I think that the mountain you topped, uh, that was about 6100 meters in altitude
0: yes that's correct it was a uh, chipai of north uh, 6150 meters
1: yeah yeah and uh, yeah so i mean there's so many questions but perhaps you could start like um, well why why did you go there <laughs> like the, yeah i mean you have been the smaller mountains why did you pick this Particular one, and and uh, who did you go go there with? I actually know the other other guy very well. But <laughs> yeah. So
0: so uh, this has been like like I have to start with just just uh, sharing that this has been a long term dream of mine. I've been I've been really looking forward to making a doing a larger expedition to a higher mountain for a longer time, and the first time I actually said it out loud, I think I had it back in at the back of my mind for around 6 years but exactly 5 years ago I I told one of my one of my very good friends very dear friends uh Joppe Johannes Raunia I said to him uh, after after we we were uh, talking about adventures that within 5 years I really want to do a bigger expedition you know like like as if it's something that I I've, I've been working towards to with the the winter expeditions in the Arctic which has been basically um as, like a uh, uh, com- combinations of either skiing or ski mountaineering or or pulling a heavy uh... sled of uh... fifty kilos of stuff into the wilderness with no cell phone reception with only satellite internet or not, or not even internet but only satellite phones and uh... doing these uh... these uh... these uh... uh adventures into into quite um, remote locations of the world and and also combining that with with my passion for climbing now this was kind of a combination of those two and we wanted to do it in the contengri region because uh one of my good friends who I've been uh adventuring in, in the alpine environments with Ari Vanska also a, a a great guy and a very very ad- adventurous dude who's been all around the world on mountains and and in in very cool locations doing heavy physical stuff he brought up the the opportunity to go to contengri and and to the Tian Shan region In Kazakhstan and on the border of Kyrgyzstan, because it's one of the the few places in the world where you get to do a six-kilometer climb uh, with a with a relatively small amount of people doing it.
1: Yeah, I heard it's actually the most northern, um, most northern, or six or seven thousand-meter climb. That's correct. So it's fairly cold there, right?
0: It's fairly cold and there are very, very few people doing the climb. Actually, mostly Eastern European alpinists uh, from the former Eastern bro- Bloc as well as from Turkey and uh, that's what we also also witnessed there and it could get up to minus, minus 30 uh, during the se- th- during the summer season. That's the warmest time, so yeah. it could get really, really harsh there.
1: Yeah, so so who, who were you there with? Vanska and then...
0: And then I was there uh, with... Uh, I was there with two people. Uh, Ari Vanska, uh, and uh, Mika Pera who we both know very well of course because he's been uh, one of the guys behind creating amber nights mm-hmm. we've been we've been uh, sharing different kinds of adventures with Mika but also those in the outdoors and uh, but this was our biggest adventure by far so far
1: so so when you arrived there like how did it all started I remember you told me that um, you didn't quite Drive with a car to the base camp. So it just, yeah, that wasn't really possible because there was no road to the base camp. <laughs> That's true. The, the whole thing about about getting there and why I was so excited to go to Kazakhstan because
0: I didn't know anything about Kazakhstan apart from some tales from friends who who've spent some time there. So what we did was we uh, took a car uh, first through uh, through the southern part of Kazakhstan to, from Almaty, uh, which is the the biggest. Uh, biggest um, culture center, the biggest cultural city there. Uh, we took um, a bus ride uh, through through uh, through Kazakhstan to Kyrgyzstan, then back to Kazakhstan, and then took an Mi-8, uh, a Russian helicopter, to. Uh, the base camp which was which was uh, uh pretty scary because last week we just heard when we arrived at the at the base camp before the Helicopter we just heard that the Kyrgyzstan side helicopter had just crashed <laughs> The other week so I was actually I was actually pretty concerned of the safety of the helicopter to be honest it, it was it was not something I was I was entirely confident about.
1: <laughs> and that was like the... I remember you, s- you said that was like the only freaking helicopter in the entire region, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it was crazy because the ones that we saw in the photos, and also in the photos uh, from the base camp, uh, we-, we saw like this kind of a military style, military um, uh, camouflage painted helicopter. But we didn't see that on the site because that had also crashed during <laughs> the last season. <laughs> so that was kind of like, yeah, so this is the, the only helicopter in the whole of Kyrgyzstan and the whole of Kazakhstan in this area. So uh, if there's any rescue missions, this is the one who will go. And anyone else can use it at the time. So I would say that was that was quite an interesting introduction to the world of of uh, getting around in the Shan Mountains.
1: Right. So like when when you when you reach the The base camp with the helicopter was around 4,000-5,000 meters. That was uh 4,000 meters, yeah. 4,000 meters on the glacier. So if 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 you would have ended up there and then the helicopter would, you know, leave you and crash somewhere else, (laughs) there would like just nobody to pick you up, right? That's right.
0: And uh the only the only way to get out would be to send another helicopter from China or some other area where they hadn't had the helicopter within, I guess, a thousand kilometers or so, and uh or, or. or take a walk of ten or fourteen days through the glacier, through mountain passes, through massively dangerous terrain, to get back uh, to safety. And uh, it was really secluded. It was literally uh, stranded on the glacier.
1: Sounds like the psychological safety was maximized. <laughs> the location.
0: That, that's that's it's it's what it's. I would say probably the most uh, remote place I've ever started an adventure from.
1: <laughs> okay. Cool. So. You were you were at the base camp in um, was it four four thousand or five thousand meters? That was at four thousand meters on the, on the
0: Inilček Glacier.
1: Yeah, and and then the entire entire um, mountaineering climbing took some uh, how how many days was it?
0: So from the time that we arrived at, um, at the glacier base camp, before that we'd also done some basic climatization walks uh, further down, mm. but from that, uh, from the moment we arrived with the chopper to the glacier, it took us 10 days uh, to actually top,
1: um, to, to get to summit uh, the north shoulder of Chopaev. Got it, got it. 10 days. Cool. So how... So let's let's soon get to the kind of like in, in interesting and intriguing parts of the <laughs> of the climb, but still about the the entire overview. How how, how how what was the different parts of the climb? So you didn't just you didn't just walk directly to the to the summit, but you 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 put up some base camps. So you had to acclimatize more and go up and down a few times. Um, how did it go? And who who were actually with you there? Besides your friends, I mean, there was a larger group of people, right?
0: Oh yeah. Uh, so basically, the climbing season in that area in Tian Shan and in in the Kantangri Massif, which can, consists of the Kantangri Mountain and the neighboring peaks, including Chapayev, it lasts for around two months. A bit less, typically, uh, is good weather. So there were there were people from all around the world, including, um, including uh, the Baltics, uh, Eastern Europe, Russia. I would say uh, most people were from Russia. There were many, many talented climbers from Moscow. Also, some uh, some guys who are very famous for opening new routes and really pushing the sport forward uh, from Northern Europe and and, uh, and Ukraine uh, and uh, and North America as well. So it was truly an international crowd who were climbing there. Uh, we also had some uh, some people from from uh, Nepal, some professional guides, some Sherpas. And, uh, and uh, but we were, uh, as our own expedition team, it was me, Vanska, and Mika, so it was only the three of us. And uh, what basically goes on in these types of technical expeditions is that you gradually ascend, acclimatize, and haul a shitload of stuff up the hill, uh, one by one, one trip by one trip, and gradually uh, build up uh, the camps that you will use to eventually, hopefully, Ascend the mountain, mm. and it's it's an endurance game. It's a waiting game. It's a uh, it's a uh, it, it's it's a really long term pursuit to climb one of these larger six thousand plus meter mountains.
1: So, okay, so what obstacles were in the way of getting to the summit? <laughs> I, I I bet there was some 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 obstacles. You just didn't just didn't walk over there and and no surprises and put up the tents, but. Some, something definitely happened.
0: Oh, now where do I start? Like during the first night, we already had the first case of a of a severe mountain sickness. Uh, when when uh, Mika had some trouble acclimatizing and he was throwing up and and he didn't feel well at all. Um, that was the first one. Uh, the first day
1: on the very first, first night, day. actually. First night throwing up.
0: That was that was right that that was that was it right right there because we ascended from around two thousand two hundred meters right to four thousand, which is not a good practice. Oh uh, yeah, got it. Yeah. So so uh, the, the acclimatization didn't have time to take place. So so Mika felt really ill. I felt uh, very exhausted, but not 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 too not too bad. I didn't throw up. I could sleep. Uh, but it di- did take our, our climbing party some time mm. to get accustomed to the height. And uh, on the on the way we had. Uh, we, we um, had some uh, small falls into crevasses. We ran into a storm. There was a, there was a whole host of obstacles, not to mention the paper-thin air that was, that was uh, dragging our, our bodies down.
1: Right, so how many, how many hundreds of meters or feet do you actually um, scan every, every day, on average?
0: So uh, on, on a typical day, it would be anywhere from 500 to 900 meters uh, of vertical ascent.
1: Got it. And what happened after the first day? How was the second, third, fourth day? Uh,
0: On the the very first day when we arrived, we knew that we would need to take some time. We were actually planning to ascend some of the neighboring peaks uh, just for the adventure and and, and also for the acclimatization to to, uh, build some new red blood cells. Um, But we eventually ended up uh, just heading uh, to the first camps of Chapaev because we noticed that there would be two... Uh, long of an approach on the glacier uh, to get to the other peaks and considering the fact that we needed some more time to get acclimatized mm. we wanted to head straight to Chapaya. so we basically uh, changed our entire plan on the first day <laughs> sweet okay <laughs> <laughs> that's what often happens in the mountains there there's there's so many variables that you can't fully take into account you just need to count on yourself and your training to make the smart decisions when they right. arise
1: so the the second, fourth, uh, fifth, sixth day, how, how did it go? Like, was there some up- obstacles on the way when you continued the journey?
0: Oh, absolutely. So so what happened was um, we we started to ascend uh, to the first camps, and uh, there were uh, there were two options for the first uh, camp, which was which was um, uh, basically a half a day trip up the hill. But even that half a day up the hill might sound easy, but without acclimatization, it was, it, was, it was quite a push, like every 10 or 20 steps, your body stops and, 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 uh, and it starts to question, you know, like the, 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 the whole idea of this whole endeavor, every cell in your body is signaling not to go any more up because uh, you're, you're not getting the oxygen. And uh, what we did was we hauled a lot of stuff during two or three day trips. I did a couple of more. I did at least one more because Mika was taking it a bit more easily uh, at at that time. So I hauled up our tent, a lot of food and set up a tent at first camp. But uh, from there we started to build up the next camps.
1: Right. So what was the most scariest, scariest moment? What day did that happen?
0: I would say by far the scariest day was uh, one when we when we uh, ascended up towards uh, Camp 2 and had to turn back 60 meters before we made it to Camp 2 uh, because uh, there was a storm front coming, coming in. And that right. was actually, in hindsight, that was actually a mistake to go as far. We, we should have turned back earlier. Uh, we should have been reading the signs because the mountains have their own climate. Mm. So the, the, the storm fronts can be very fast. Um, we went back to Camp 1 after, after a, a quite an exhausting day. Uh, I had to, uh, at times I had to stop every five steps to breathe because I couldn't... Every just five push. breaking steps? I, I took five steps and I was breathing heavily and had to take you know, like a mental break and then push forward <laughs> another five <laughs> steps. It was, it was crazy. It's, it's really hard to understand. Here we we're at sea level. It's really hard to understand what the high, high uh, altitude does to the body. And it, it's, it's a mental push for sure. Mm. Um, but during the night, we had a, a pretty epic thunderstorm. I think Vanska counted 50 lightnings. We lost a kettle because th- the wind took the kettle from our birder and just, you know, like blew it away. It was between <laughs> rocks and the wind took the, the, the kettle. One of our neighbors from uh, Slovakia, Yuri and Petra, who were, who were climbing there, they lost a helmet during that night because the wind took it. I woke up in the middle of the night And uh, the tent's edge, which is usually here, was pushed towards my face. I tried to open the tent, it started filling up like a balloon. We were only a couple of feet, like uh, maybe 50 centimeters away from an edge of a several hundred meter drop. (laughs) And I made Meek swear that you can't open that door because you will fall. There is there is nothing behind that door. So I was really concerned that the wind would blow the like tent the, away. Like, the
1: door, like the, the door of the tent. If you open it from the wrong side of the tent, you would just like drop into nowhere. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. That's that's what w- would eventually happen. Like I was piling up stones on the other side and they would slide off and fall off into the void. I was like, hmm, it's not a good idea to to, to take a leak like from how, that door. How, how
1: many stones, like how big of a stones do you actually need to... Get it somewhat stable there.
0: I would, I would say like uh, stones this big are the ones that you want want to go for like um, like the ones that you really have exactly like uh, like uh, anywhere from you know like 30 40 kilos are the ones that you really want. Uh, but we had trouble finding those so we had to pile up tons and tons of smaller ones. so I think we eventually piled up some 150 kilos of stones <laughs> on the edges of the tent and I was waking up in the middle of the night like, like thinking you know, like I have set up this tent myself. I have piled up 150 kilos of stones. I can't go out. There is no helicopter rescue. There is a massive storm outdoors. I can't go out. I can't do anything to the tent right now. And it was a meditative and a really scary experience, man. Like, because I just had to accept the fact that there's basically nothing I can do. I can just only trust the tent I've built. And it was, right. it, was it was really scary, I, I have to tell you. like, There, there are not many times that I, I have felt that kind of a contemplation of, you know, getting thrown into the void by the wind it it was it was quite an experience yeah
1: what was actually going in your mind during that moment if you just elaborate and try to place yourself there again and 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 were you just holding it in yourself how did you deal it with the other people did you actually talk about it there because you don't want to you don't want to just Put out the you know the the negative thoughts out there. You need to have the positive spirit, right? Absolutely. But, but how 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 did you actually deal with it there?
0: So I woke up in the middle of the night to the fact that the tent was like really bending over my face, and there was a massive storm outdoors. Mika was sleeping, and and he d- he didn't have an easy time sleeping there because it it was high altitude, and he had a he had a, a several times he was hyperventilating so I didn't want to wake him up I just you know like first I, I just woke up into problem-solving mode like okay what can we do about this what's mm. going on first I noticed that there's a ton of snow that was blowing with the wind and it was packing on top of the tent so I took a small peek out of the tent door and uh, immediately I noticed that there were uh, there were the whole horizon was filled with lightnings mm. so so uh and also that. that so,
1: so you were struggling alone, basically.
0: So basically, yes. I was. I was first evaluating situation alone. First, I was very heavily into you know like, okay, what what do I need to do in order to solve this? And when I noticed that there's nothing I could basically do at that point, I was thinking you know like different options. Like, uh, should I have a knife to break through the tent wall if, if the tent started moving? You yeah. know, like what would what would what would be there uh, as a as a as a backup option? But eventually I just had to let, let it go because I had to trust the tent that I'd built.
1: Wow. So so how long did that last? Was it like two hours or six hours? Did you get any sleep that night?
0: Uh, I did get some sleep that night. And what helped was I did a small meditation. Uh, I, I started thinking about the fact that, that, uh, that uh, firstly, there's nothing that I can affect at that moment. So I went deep into my mind. I did a breathing meditation. And after that, I actually... Started to find uh, the the kind of you know like the, the 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 kind of funny and wicked side of that adventure. Like like okay like like we are in at, at uh, around five kilometers on a mountain. There's a storm. There's nothing we could do about it. We are just very very small human beings as part of this massive massive structure that's been here for hundreds of millions of years. And you just have to surrender to that feeling. Right. Right. And and after that, I also put on my earphones. and listened to some uh, quite heroic. Songs from from uh from the band Winter Sun, uh they have a they have a uh, rec- record called Forest Seasons, and uh, and uh, I thought that described perfectly the situation we were in, and uh, actually I, I started laughing within myself like like uh, like a bit, and after that I fell back asleep so so that was kind of the mental process that was going on from the worry the concern the clinging yeah. and the problem solving to finally accepting and then fighting the the small hint of hint of a uh, uh, adventurous gist and joy in that in that moment,
1: man, I I don't know what to say like 150 <laughs> kilos of rocks, and the storm pushing the tent sideways and, and no, it medi- was, meditating there like no way of rescuing, no helicopter landing pad.
0: No, it was really fucked up. And uh, the first thing when I when I woke up was uh, after evaluated the situation, I really had to take a leak because you lose a ton of uh, moisture, you, you lose a ton of ton of uh, hydration in the mountains so I was on the edge quite scared uh tent you know like entirely bent over me I was peeing in a bottle at (laughs) 5,000 meters with no hope of rescue and nothing I could do and I was thinking to myself like this doesn't happen to normal people like like why why the fuck am I here on the glacier like what's wrong with me like how have I ended in this situation like how why do I always end up in these kinds of situations that and uh, I, I thought about that moment quite a lot after that. Like, it it would be you know like it, there were in those moments it would be kind of nice to be the type of person who could just you know like go home and and you know like create craft some origamis rather than you <laughs> know, like go go on a go on a damp glacier go pee in a bottle on an edge of a mountain in a storm.
1: Life is full of choices.
0: <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that point you start to question yours.
1: So tell me about this, this freaking film crew over there. There was some <laughs> Russian or Eastern European, I remember, some 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 film star trying to top the mountain who didn't actually succeed, but had like a bunch of drones and, and you know whatever assistance with him to put it into a movie.
0: Oh yeah, we got to know uh, we got to know Anwar uh, and uh, and uh, Isolazimbayev as, as well as their their uh, video. Uh, video craftsman Sasha, who is a true master with the video, and he was. We were all carrying normal equipment, you know, like life saving equipment, life uh, sustaining equipment, and these guys were carrying drones and, <laughs> and, you know, and tripods and you know, like all that stuff. Mad, mad, gra- mad, mad, mad respect to those guys and also gratitude for sharing the journey. Uh, they were actually from Alamati. Right, and, uh, Kazakhstan. yes, Kazakhstan, and uh, they were they were filming uh, their ascent, uh, their preparation, and, and eventually their attempt to uh, get a, get on 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 um, uh, first on Chapaev and then to Kantengri, uh which unfortunately didn't uh, succeed in in uh, in a summiting. But I would say definitely more than succeeded in the adventure.
1: So, so how did actually? go from there i mean you know, now, now we've been talking about the first half of the trip how about the last half of the trip and and, uh, and like how, how many of how, how big was the entire team and crew you had and how many of of all of you guys actually uh, made it to the summit
0: so uh, in the in the chopper that returned, we were the only ones who actually were, were going for Chopaev and actually made it there, which wow. which was really humbling actually because so
1: you you vanskan me, are you three exactly out, exactly. Of, out of how many people?
0: Uh, out, well, there were twenty people in the chopper, but in the in the base camp uh, there were there was there was definitely a handful of people. There was a, a group of guides who had before on the week before made it to the top of uh, both Chapaev and Kantengri. Uh Those were really really experienced guys. Right. Uh, so there was there was out of uh, fifty people probably only only uh, eight or ten uh, during that time made it right uh and uh and uh, i was i was super honored to be one of those people
1: wow that's that's really humbling what do you think what was the reason why the other guys didn't make it
0: uh that's a really good question there are so many variables but firstly like uh, we did have a very thorough preparation behind us i would say uh and we also had some experience uh that that many of the other crews lacked but for me personally this was as as said this was my first high mountain expedition of this sort uh, but I, I did have a very solid preparation as I said you know like some of the some of the initial sparks and in preparation started already five years ago i had been doing a lot of training in the aerob- aerobic uh, side from a 120 to 140 beats per minute endurance so that was definitely something that, that took me uh, uh, took, uh, or, or brought me some advantage and uh, also the acclimatization can't be can't be underestimated there's actually very little you can do about it so Mm. so there was definitely an an element of luck and an element of preparation and i would also say that we were tough nuts like like we we just didn't give up and mika especially he didn't give up he was feeling like shit i didn't know if he would be able to continue and he just pulled through he's a true soldier like like i can't imagine how it was for him because for me it was a very strenuous trip but for him, with very little sleep, it was he was uh, definitely definitely more physically demanding. Right. But it is a mental game in the end. Like in the mountains, you must hurry uh, in a in a slow pace. There's there's a saying that you must you must uh, be in a controlled hurry. So so making making the right moves and 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 going slowly but still maintaining. Uh, that momentum and not stopping at any time and, and, uh, and only taking short breaks, even though your body screams for a longer one. So I think that was definitely one, one thing that took us to the top.
1: Wow. So, yeah, so humbling. Um, so when you actually made it to the summit, uh, like walk me through through the day when you made it to the summit, you, 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 you climbed to the, the final final camp. And there was some few hundred meters to go, go up, and you had to wait for good good weather to show up. And exactly. So how 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 did it go? How did it feel?
0: So we were we were waiting for the weather weather v- window, and I was already kind of you know like mentally, mentally prepared that we wouldn't be making it there because the weather window did not look good during the next couple of days, which were our last, uh, before the the chopper should take us back, and. Uh, what what happened was that we we were in constant communication with the base camp with a radio. We had certain radio hours, yeah. as you do in the mountains, and uh, we we got a g- glimpse of hope uh, from the radio that there would be a good weather opportunity in the morning. And after uh, in the in the after in the afternoon, it would it would have become um, become a low visibility and and a high wind conditions again. So we started in the morning, and when we got to around 400 meters of ascent. Well, firstly, the first 100 meters were crushing. They were absolutely crushing for me. I was thinking if if I would be able to if I would be right. able to, to go on. Uh, but after 100 150 meters of vertical, it typically starts my diesel engine somehow. And uh, at 400 meters from the base camp, which was uh, very close to 6,000 already, I was feeling actually really really good. But what I was very concerned about was the weather because it was moving in um, with the, cl- the clouds were moving in. Uh, at around 500 meters, uh, Evanska said the first time that, you know what, guys, I think we're going to get you a, one 6,000er today. I, I really think it's going to happen. And at that time, I, was, I remember saying to him, like, yeah, you know, I'm still kind of worried about the weather, you know, like, it my clothes, it's okay, we can go down if it closes, you know. I was kind of, you know, like, mentally preparing yeah. for, for yeah. not being able to do it. When there were 200 meters to go, I was already, like, Seeing the, seeing the summit, seeing the last pitches, seeing the last rock pitches on green granite, which were really phenomenal climbing I might say. It, it, was, it was something completely amazing technically and, and mentally and physically and also visually because we were climbing on this green granite which I've never seen our friend before, not alone climbed. And at that point I was actually feeling that hey we actually have a really really good chance of summiting, summiting today. And uh, when I finally got to the top I was Amazed at the fact that there was no more mountain to climb like for I got to the north, like there is nowhere else to go Like we're here. Give me more rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy, and uh, it was a really euphoric feeling I felt like oh, shit man, that... because of the lack of oxygen, but my, my mind completely blocked off that feeling uh, And I started to uh, uh, rig the Finnish flag onto my ice axe. <laughs> it, it was it was an amazing amazing moment uh, More than I could have wished for
1: Wow so what, what what did you guys actually do at the at the summit? You you you, you raised the finish flag. Did you do some handstands and some? You know, like, <laughs> uh, what goes I, up there? I could
0: I could barely I could barely do a jump without my backpack because at that point we had been hauling our backpacks for so many days, and uh, even though the summiting day you do with a lighter lighter pack, I was still carrying probably like uh, five six kilos. So I took off my pack. I I I fell onto my knees, started ringing the flag. And uh, and uh, there were a couple of uh, Russian climbers who joined us on top. Uh, Mika Mika also joined us on top, and he tr- took a long sip of of a, of a electrolyte drink. And uh, we took some photos. We rejoiced. Uh, we were, were uh, yelling out loud. We we it was it was really a moment of moment of a, of, a, of a really crystallizing what we've been working for for so long. And I really felt that in uh, in the in the in the gazes and the faces of yeah. everyone who were there.
1: Wow. Dude, take some kombucha. <laughs> I will.
0: <laughs> I definitely will.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, talking about electrolyzing drinks you had, I mean, wh- what did you guys eat there? What did you drink during the entire 10 days you were ascending? So, uh, we had some electrolyte drinks, um, some salts, uh, like a
0: five electrolyte mix, which also had some uh, potassium, magnesium, fluoride, um, I had some amber nights, I had made some uh, high-altitude amber nights for myself, <laughs> which also ended up being shared by... by so uh,
1: what, what is the recipe for high-altitude al- amber nights? I, I made, a, made a higher... You gonna make this to the show notes. Oh,
0: absolutely. I made a, made a mix with a, with a higher ratio of carbs, because the higher you go, the more carbs uh, you need for your body to be able to function. So I made a mix of different carbs, including uh, some uh, baobab, uh, which is which is uh, the fruit of the African tree, which is very high in electrolytes and uh, and uh, micronutrients, and uh, I also included some creatine because that's uh, a very helpful addition for me, and it's it's really helped me uh, in, in the in the endurance zone when it comes to technical climbing, and uh, I also included tons and tons of berries uh, so that each uh, kind of a high altitude amber night would include. Uh, 100 grams worth of berries in a fresh equivalent to just get those greens and uh, also those faster sugars in
1: Got it. So not the the typical mountaineering food is not really enough what you can get from the REI or these stores.
0: Those those definitely form a good basis because you just need the calories and you need a ton of them Uh, Your daily consumption can be 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 calories Kilocalories that is so it's really hard to actually eat that Uh, also you just need a lot of sugar so we had uh, lots of uh, protein bars, uh, high carb bars, uh, chocolate bars I don't know when I've eaten as much chocolate as I have during that trip I I ate several chocolate uh, bars a day typically ones that had cashew nuts or hazelnuts uh, so that I would just get uh, six hundred calories of energy just in an instant on top of a, dr- a freeze dried meal like a real tourmo or a blobund right. freeze dried
1: meal. So you better when you go mountaineering to high altitudes like several thousands of meters you, you better just forget the trendy ketogenic diets that all fashionable nutrition gurus are promoting, right?
0: Absolutely, and uh, and uh, I actually ended up trashing basically all of my carb principles because you just need the carbs there to survive. Right. And actually, some of the top alpinists in the world they drink several liters of Coca-Cola a day <laughs> because <laughs> I wouldn't go that route though because because they they just they just uh, have found some ways of of uh, getting the carbs. Um, for me it was mainly mainly the the, the the treats and the bars and also some uh, fudge candies that are very very high in, in, in energy that I brought up because eventually like every hundreds of each and every hundred gram pack that you bring up will weigh uh, like like right. a massive elephant on your back when you're in five thousand six thousand meters so
1: you really need to pay attention to getting enough calories Got it so yeah this is exciting perhaps. Uh yeah let's start wrapping up soon but still a few more questions um so when you when you're going kind to of like go a little bit above this entire experience and look yourself from the third point of view um what what did you learn like not about mountaineering but what did you learn about life like what what thoughts arise perhaps during the ascent, or maybe just one or two days afterwards, like what were the the feelings that that you held in your body at that moment what, what were some of the uh, quotes you, you remember repeating in your mind
0: for that that's a really good question now for me, mountaineering and and uh, outdoor adventures are very, very much about the internal pursuit right. towards knowing myself more and i feel like and 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 that's partially the answer to the question like why the hell am i on a mountain ridge scared for my life peeing in a bottle without hope of rescue is with, with, the,
1: kettles <laughs> with the kettles going <laughs> in a vertical, <laughs> vertical direction is <laughs> <laughs> is because there was the wind
0: and, and that's the crazy thing like because those are those are the environments that i feel that i that i get to know myself the right. most and uh the, some of the thoughts that I that I really gathered are some of the bits of wisdom that I that I feel that I internalized during those during those moments is that pushing through fear is something uh, that will that will broaden my sense of everyday reality. Mm. Like pushing through right. fear makes me more of a human being and it makes me a, a human that I that I appreciate more myself. But also brings to perspective all the fears and the anxieties of my everyday life and of my everyday existence. Because man, my my brain is working on those all the time unless I put it in check through meditation, through cold showers, through breath exercises, through cold exposure that I love and through adventures and and environments that expose me to that fear and, and force me to push through it. And I think that's one, maybe one of the greatest gifts there.
1: Right, right. I can, I can totally feel it. I mean, like when you go through that, I mean, you are left with very little fear in your normal life, I believe. I mean, I, I, I just remember this quote somebody saying in the, in the superhero camp a few days ago that especially in Finland and Nordics, you know, the, the welfare state we have, the highest you can really fell off is from a carpet to the floor.
0: Exactly. The, the, that's the that's the highest that's the highest sudden descent that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen to you. Not
1: too much acclimatization needed for that. <laughs> that's true.
0: No, but the funny thing is, like, uh, we're we're so concerned about trivial shit in our everyday lives, and uh, the life in the in the city, t- to me, it feels like it's rounded, it's safe, it's double, triple, quadruple. Uh, evaluated to be absolutely non-lethal and soft and fuzzy and warm for you so that you really lose your connection to the essence of life. You really lose your connection to yourself, to nature, and to what it really means to be alive. And I don't mean that in a a metaphorical sense. I mean that in a very physical sense. Your body starts to degrade. Your entire experience of life becomes full of stress. You're in a very, very reactive mode. In yeah. the mountains, you are fully immersed into what you're doing because your life and the life of your teammates literally depends on that. And you're in a, in a constant state of... I mean, mountaineering is the art of suffering. I mean, you're hauling <laughs> heavy shit up a hill in yeah. very little oxygen and every each and every mitochondria in your body screams that you're going to fucking kill us all. And, and instead of listening to that fear and that pain, you keep on pushing through. And in the end, what, what happens is you forget about it. You, you flow into this mm. very solid, immersing state of flow. Mm. And, and you really become a part of the environment, a part of the mountain. You forget about all, all of the physical uh, and, and the cognitive alerts that are constantly bombarding your everyday experience. And to me that's uh, what really brings me, or what really draws me towards the mountains. The mountains are calling and I must go. I think that's a famous quote. And uh, it's, it's been inspiring so many people around the world. And I think a part of it, a part of the challenge and why mountains and, and these expeditions inspire people is because they b- really do, by taking us away from our everyday environment, they bring us closer yeah. to ourselves and nature and what it really means to be alive. And that's very much what it's about for, for me.
1: Where the focus goes, the energy flows. That's very true. And uh, talking about flow, Mikhail Sitse Mikhail Flow is on my reading list so let, let's see if he's recommending some mountaineering to get to that state <laughs> but that definitely should be an additional chapter if it's not there already
0: that's amazing but but really like uh, apart from apart from the 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 kind of the internal realizations which i feel are the most valuable and maybe the most mm. ha- have been at the very focus of my of my attention lately mm. also what it what it really taught me was the value of long-term preparation. And of course, it's been a long-term dream of mine, so it was definitely a, a kind of a crystallizing moment for so many years of, of, a, of a climbing, and of, of, right. of a technical climbing. And also the value of, or, or also I started to appreciate the fact that our bodies can do incredible things and adapt to amazingly hostile, uh, life-threatening environments like it's simply incredible that the first day you might have end up at 4,000 meters you're throwing up your body is e- eventually going haywire and after a couple of days you're ascending several kilometers upwards it's, it's simply astonishing to me that we have this capability as human beings to produce uh, uh, adapting systems to, to these kinds of harsh environments making new blood cells uh, adapting your body and your mind to these uh, locations and environments and also of course the value of Preparation, food, uh, the the real uh, getting 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 in uh, the building blocks that allow you to do crazy things that you didn't think were possible. Mm. I think there's a lot of value in that, and everyone should find something that scares them and, and really pursue that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's amazing, and I, I bet that um, being two weeks in, in in the mountains with with a couple of good friend of yours just deepen deepens that friendship. Even further and and oh absolutely and and, and like so a a so deep uh, brotherhood that you know any experience really cannot top off that because I remember when we met we met in middle of Siberia pretty much (laughs) we we had the private train going through uh, Siberia and Mongolia to Shanghai World Expo nine days on a train from Helsinki Finland to China freaking almost 10,000 kilometers (laughs) on tracks with 100 other students and professors. and (laughs) Pretty fantastic. uh,
0: Craziest railway in the world.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like, that that experience to me, what it left was that I was there with these 100 people and and, and shared these nine days with them, and that felt like I shared one year of friendship with every one of these single individuals on board, because... Well, you, you couldn't escape from the train. Exactly. You, know, you, you
0: were there. You were just there, immersed.
1: You were just immersed there. I mean you could go to your cabin but that was pretty much it. And sometimes you just had to come to eat your lunch and dinner and your and 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 the champagne that the you know, <laughs> Igor was serving Oleg, Oleg <laughs> never forget Oleg, <laughs> never forget Oleg. <laughs> oh man so, the amazing trade stuff <laughs> so it's been so fantastic to see all those people later on in life and by the way they're all amazing people because they signed up for such trip they are, they've been very international people later on and signed up for other adventures and so on so I can just imagine like when there are no even no Train cabins. <laughs> you are freaking, you know, plastic tent <laughs> together. <laughs> that you know, that friendship will last like for a lifetime. Oh, like, absolutely. Even if you wouldn't see each other in ten years.
0: When you when you count your life on other people in in such a harsh environment, one of the one of the toughest environments in the world, it's it's uh it's it's something that that very rarely happens in everyday life because. In, in, even even in the best of friendships and in th- even in the closest of friendships and partnerships, you very rarely concretely put your life in the hands right. of other people in such yeah. a concrete way. And you I think that's that's, right. that's so like, powerful. That's
1: like the real vulnerability. Exactly. And you can always talk about how shit, you, shit moments you have in your life, but that's like real. Yeah. Like,
0: man, if you don't hold this rope, I will die. <laughs> <laughs> And like, like, I'm counting on you doing it, and, and and I'm, and I know you will. So it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful feelings of trust and, and relating, to the fact that we are facing, the world and its obstacles together, as we are, as a, as a whole, as a whole, you know, like, in our, in our social circles and as a human race, we truly are. But that's the place where that actually becomes concrete and real.
1: So life is not about how many. Breaths you breathe, but how many moments take your breath away right
0: i would I would definitely uh subscribe to that notion, and uh it's easier to take your breath away when there is no oxygen
1: on that bombshell, perhaps it's time to conclude this fantastic morning lake session <laughs> this next is the, to the office <laughs>
0: like i i already I already got really stoked about about uh returning to those moments and really exploring what's going on in my mind and uh Thanks for bringing those bringing those back to the surface.
1: It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me interviewing you in the superhero podcast, Simo.
0: It's it's been a true pleasure, Miko, and uh, I think we should definitely do this again. I think this, this is a this is a format that I truly enjoy, and I hope our audience has enjoyed both in the online live channels and the the uh, the uh, podcast. And uh, and uh, on that note, um, you can find some. Of uh, the things we talked about, including the recipe for the high-altitude, high-performance <laughs> mountaineering alpine adventure, Amber Night, on the blog very, very soon. Not right now because we're doing this live, but I will, I will definitely include those. And uh, thanks for everyone for listening. And uh, remember to reflect on your own mortality, the value of adventure, and true vulnerability uh, in the world. Remember to live your life as a savage in a world of weakness and have a healthy weekend.
1: Thanks for listening
0: to the Amber Knight superhero podcast. Please check out the links, show notes and other episodes at ambronitecom slash podcast. That's a M B R O N I T E.com slash podcast. Thanks again and
1: catch you in the next episode.